God's word is, is so good all the time. So have any of you ever seen the show Forged in Fire? Does anybody know what that is? That is a show that I like. If you have never seen the show Forged in Fire, basically what it is, is you have four blacksmiths that will come on uh, the show. There's three judges. The four blacksmiths will come, and they will get allotted time periods on the show that they're, that they're on for that time where they have to make some kind, of a, some kind of a knife, right? So they're given some kind of material, and they have to make some kind of a knife blade out of that material. And so they will, you know, they will shape it. They will forge it together, and then they have these, like, big uh, ovens that they stick them in, and they bring them out, and they hammer them, and they have these hammer machines that hammer them all. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, I think it's very much, you know, a guy's show probably, but uh, my wife indulges me and allows me to watch it from time to time and even, even watches it with me from time to time. But they have some very interesting things that they'll make. And then what happens is after they're uh, eliminated by various reasons, either it, it wasn't the right specifications or it wasn't good enough or however they do that, they judge that. And then it goes to two guys or two gals at the end, uh, two blacksmiths at the end, and then they go home to their home forges and they make a, a, a weapon and they bring it back and then they test it right? And they test it with all kinds of weird things. They'll slice bamboo with it. They'll slice pigs with it. They'll slice fish with it. There's a lot of slicing that happens in this show. Um, and so there's some catchphrases. You know, this one guy in particular, whenever he does anything, it will kill. I know, I know you were going to be mad at me if I didn't say that. If you've seen the show, you're like, he's got to say the catchphrase. Um, but if you've ever seen that show, uh, now you'll be interested in it and you'll look it up. But uh, I like the show because it pits people who have uh, skills that I don't have and that I, I probably don't have the time in this life to develop. I, I love the idea of being a blacksmith, of taking just some raw material and then making something out of it just with the strength of my own hands and, you know, the fire of the forge. It just seems, I, I, I can't think of a more manly career than just being a blacksmith and making things out of hot metal, you know. I feel like grunting like uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor. <laughs> so, but you might be saying, and rightly so, well, that's great, Pastor John, but what in the world does that have to do with James or your message today or anything else that we're going to have to ex experience? Well, I'm glad that you asked, and I hope that that will make sense uh, as we tease out what we're talking about, what James is talking about today. I hope that'll make sense to you. And if not, I, I plan on tying that into the end. So I, I will not leave you hanging, I promise you. But before we go to God's word, I think it behooves us. Can we, can we pray together? Oh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you are God alone. There is no other. You are the Alpha and Omega. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. In you there is no evil, and you are eternal in all your attributes without change. Lord God, we confess that we so often neglect to think of you rightly. We fail to consider your ways. We look at our own situations and grumble and complain to you as if you forgot us, or do not see, or even worse, do not care. We thank you, Father, that you are patient and compassionate with us. Thank you for your text in James that you will give to us today as our daily bread to remind us of who you are and how you interact with us. Thank you that you are not as we are and you do not change and you are not offended by our misunderstandings and forgetfulness. So Father, send your spirit upon us. Grow us this day, we pray. Let us not just hear your words 
but implant them in our hearts. Empower us to be doers. For those who are in trial, we pray that today's word would be an encouragement and healing balm to their souls. For those who are between trials at the moment, let this be a time of preparation and of sharpening so that we may remain steadfast when future trials begin. It's in your name that we do pray. Amen. So if you're a note taker, um, the first thing that I want to talk to you about in this first section of James is uh, trials that are in the Christian life. Rest assured, if you are a Christian, you will have trials. I think I talked about it when we were talking about evangelism, but I think it's very important that when we talk to other people, when we witness to other people, when we share with them about Christianity, especially uh, for the first time that they're hearing it or, or the first time that they're hearing the gospel given to them or if you're trying to explain the gospel and, and tell people that, it's important that we don't sell it as something that's going to make all their problems go away. Now, do I believe that the life of a Christian is far better than that of somebody who doesn't believe? Absolutely, absolutely. And do I believe that Jesus can help us get through these things that are difficult in our lives? Well, absolutely. In fact, that's what our sermon is about today. Uh, but I think it's important that we don't sell to them the idea that if you become a Christian, then everything in your life that was bad is all of a sudden going to cease instantly. In fact, in Scripture, he starts uh, this book like this. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now, James here, we believe, according to uh, tradition and what we know about uh, scriptures, we believe that this is Jesus' brother James. And so that carries some weight in it. He, who he's writing to here, you see in the context of scripture, he calls himself a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to the 12 tribes, so the other Jewish brothers and sisters that are in the dispersion. What's the dispersion? Well, you, sh you can probably guess that, but that's instead of at Jerusalem or in the holy city or in, the, or in Israel as a, as a whole, they're dispersed throughout, right? And if you remember when we were talking about um, Paul's journeys, uh, a little bit there. I gave you the map up there if you've been attending long enough or if you remember watching those. I showed you kind of the map of where he goes up on the screen and so you know that he's outside of that area. So those are the areas of dispersion. So this is written to the tribes of Israel that are out and among all the other uh, Greeks and Romans and Gentiles all over the place, okay? And then he goes on and he says, this is a command. So this is not a request. He is giving us a command uh, by the Lord to us where it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So naturally, knowing this text, uh, when I heard that we had a water heater bust, and uh, when we had to tear out the walls, and we found mold, and then uh, it ruined the underside of the house, and then uh, we were getting ready to uh, do our our stuff with insurance, but then somebody had a baby and she had to leave, so the case got dropped for a month, and before we were going on vacation, we found another bathroom that had uh, mold in it, and the P-trap was uh, bad for the shower, and uh, we had to rip all that out, and then we're still not in our house yet. Naturally, I rejoiced, <laughs> as any of you would, right? No, but this is a command nonetheless. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, I want you to understand that this is a command out of the gate, but it's also a command for Christians. It is ridiculous and it's foolish to think that anybody who doesn't know our God would be able to fulfill this command. This is a command for Christians. So if you are here this morning and you don't know if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I just want to tell you, that's where you start. You don't start here because you can't start here. 
But if you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I hope that if you're here that you do, then you can start here. You can count it all joy. What does all mean? Well, I don't think you need me for that. And he gives reason for this. So we're going to tease this out because there's more than just one reason. I believe that there's three reasons. But in this text right here, as you have before you on the screen, but also hopefully you have in a copy of God's Word that you brought with you, I think the first thing that we see are the trials are for a purpose. It is not just karma. We are not just, you know, sending good vibes out into the universe and then hoping that the universe gives us good vibes back. Uh, They are for a purpose, and especially for those who are Christians. Now, I believe trials are for a purpose for everybody, and for people who aren't Christians, I believe the trials are so that they would seek the one true God and find Christ Jesus and start their relationship with him. But for Christians, they are absolutely for a purpose. Trials are not new. It says here that the steadfastness and genuineness will have its full effect, lacking in nothing. So that's the goal of any kind of trial that we have, right? That's the immediate purpose. But I want you also to see, because that's kind of, for lack of better terminology, like that's kind of squishy. What I mean by that is, okay, pastor, that's great that you say, you know, or that the Bible says rather, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing, right? But what does that mean? What does that look like? Tangibly, how can I, how can I hang my hat on that truth and just understand that it, it is real and it's tangible instead of being so squishy? Does that make sense? That's the question I would ask. And so I, like you, I naturally, I go back to the Bible to inform me of what this looks like. Now, remember I said trials are nothing new, and trials for God's people are nothing new, and so let's just start with some that we know very well. How about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? But was there not other trials in Scripture that we know very well? Things like Noah and Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, and maybe the one that you thought I was going to go to, Job. So let me go over some of these. How about this trial? You don't know any other people groups aside from those that you've been raised with, right? And all of a sudden, the God of the universe says, I want you to leave everything that you know, and I want you to go to a land that you don't know about in enemy territory that I'm going to show you. And so you pick up everything that you have, and you go. And then on your way, he also says to you, as you're in your, I don't know, 80s, 90s, or whatever the scripture said, he's old, he's beyond bearing years, and so is your wife. And so God says to you, hey, by the way, you're going to have a child, And that child is not just going to be one child, but through your lineage, there's going to be as many as the stars in the heavens and the sea on the seashore. Now, I'm sure you probably know your Bibles better than I do, and I'm thankful for that because then you can always keep me in check. But I don't think that there's any for sure chronological time frame that we know how long Abraham actually waited for that to be put in place. What we do know is that they went into a land that wasn't their own. I'm sure there was issues that happened that Scripture doesn't record. But it does record that he laughed at God and that he still waited and he still waited. And then, if that wasn't enough, then there's the trial of, hey, you know this kid that you've waited so long for? I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice him. And then you have Isaac. He had a brother born for adversity, right? And Ishmael. And now look at what's going on over there. We have Jacob and Esau. Jacob went to a land to to find one wife. He got duped to have to work 14 years instead of seven. And he had two wives now. 
Look at all the issues that happened with that. And he had 12 sons. I have three sons, and we struggle to feed them, right? I mean, not really. We're fine. But can you imagine 12 teenage boys in the house? That poor mother, both, that's what I guess maybe in God's sovereignty, that's why there was two of them, because they could never leave the kitchen. They were always hungry. We literally just fed you like two hours ago. What are you talking about? Now, going back a little bit, you have Noah. And I don't know about you, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I don't understand why we put Noah and the ark on pictures in kids' rooms. That was one of the most horrifying things in all of human history, and we cartoonize it, and we soften it, and we, we nerf it, you know? I mean, do you understand that Noah at some point was up probably looking out the windows and seeing the bodies of friends and loved ones bouncing against the outside edge of his ark as they're traveling through this? I mean, this is a real thing here. It wasn't just fun. If you've ever went to the ark experience... Uh, over in Kentucky. We, we saw that. I don't know that, obviously, they don't know how all this stuff worked out, right? But they have this idea of even Noah probably had to clean stalls out for all these animals and then pitch it overboard. That's not, I mean, and he was there for like a year almost. It was a long time. This is a trial. It wasn't just, we're going to ride on this boat and it's going to be fun. It's going to be like a, it's, it's, this is a, not carnival cruise we're talking about here. And you have Joseph, who is sold as a slave. And then mistreated and, and brought charges against that didn't happen, and then went to prison. Or Moses, who was abandoned as a baby, not by the desire of the mother, of course, you know, so no shame on her, but he was abandoned as a baby, was taken into this house of an oppressor, had to watch his people be oppressed, and then committed murder, and then wandered in the... So, so then after being a deliverer, coming back in and bringing the people out and trying to be faithful, he had to wander in the wilderness with the stiff-necked people for 40 years, and then also didn't even get to go into the promised land. Or Joshua. That poor guy had to wander too. He wanted to go into the land. And then not only that, but when he went into the land, he was responsible for helping to fight those wars. In Joshua's day, can you imagine living in a war zone for most of your life? And then you have David. David was ostracized by his family. I don't, the, the text doesn't share this, but when, when uh, Samuel came to ask about the sons and stuff, uh, if, if you've heard anybody who really knows the Greek or the Hebrew or, or whatever, uh, what they'll tell you is when he asked the dad, the dad was like, yeah, I've got this worthless one who's out in the field. That's how David's family thought of him. Just the, the, the runt of the litter out there, good for manual labor, and that's nothing else. When they say that there's, I want all your sons, I didn't even think of him. I left him out there. I brought all these ones in. Not only that, then he has to fight a giant. Now, of course, he's vic victorious, and we love that story, but don't tell me that wasn't a trial. And then what about when he's a king? He was anointed a king, and the, real, the, the king that was there during the time was trying to kill him that, for many years. He was on the run the whole time. And then if you know anything about the Bible, you know about Job. Probably like the most famous trial, right? Because it was, it was literally, God was like, well, have you considered Job? And Satan's like, well, I'm going I'm to show you. But in every single one of these, 
I guarantee you, and if you know the stories, you know too that every single one of these trials had a purpose. So trials do not define you, they only refine you. Second thing, trials are for your profit. So I want to show you this. Uh, they're going to click through here with me. I'm going to read this to you, but in James 1, 5 through 11, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by, by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The terminology there means like double-souled. So there's one, it, obviously, you know, not really having two souls, but it's of a split mind, right? I, I want to believe the Lord, but I don't really believe the Lord, and I, I'm not really sure how that's going to work. And if you think about the illustration here, it's like a wave on the sea, unstable. It's just rolling all the time. Hopefully that's the illustration in your mind. Verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So you see, trials are for your profit. Well, Pastor, that uh, section right there doesn't sound very profitable. Well, let me tell you what, what, uh, what trials remind us of. Tri trials help us to realize what we lack. I'm ashamed to tell you that often my most fervent prayer is when things in my life are not going the way I want them to be. I would love to tell you that I'm just like you, and most of the time that I'm praying is when things are going great, because I have a lot of things to be thankful for, and so I'm always worshiping and thankful. But the truth is that most of my most fervent times of prayer are when things are not going well, and I realize what it is that I lack, whether that's wisdom, whether that's endurance, whether that's patience, whether that's strength, whether that's finances, whether that's whatever the case may be, health in some circumstances, whatever it is that I lack, the moment that that trial reveals that to me, I understand what it is and where I need to go. And so it's for our profit because it helps us to remember that we lack and that God provides. And it says here that if we lack wisdom, we ask God and he gives generously. He is a good giver, scripture tells us. And how are we to ask? We're to ask without doubt. Trial reminds us of those things. Mark 9.24 says, Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Matthew 17.20 says, He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Second reason this is for our prophet is because it focuses our attention on God in our trial. Again, I, I'm sorry to tell you that throughout my day, there's a lot of time of my day. I, I pray this in the morning when I wake up, and I pray it at night. I ask for forgiveness of this, and then throughout the day, if I do remember, you know, I, I try to do that, but it, don't, you want, don't you want for your day to be made up of little moments of holding Jesus' hand? I don't know if that makes sense, really, but like, I, 
I love it. My, you, you know, my oldest is almost a teenager, so you know how it is when you're a teenager and you, you don't want to even like know that your parents are related to you, let alone you know hold their hand or something like that. But when they're little, isn't it sweet to to hold your little kid's hand as they go throughout the parking lot or whatever, and it just, it's, it's both for them and for you, if, if we're honest parents, right? Like, uh, I want to make sure the kid's safe, so I hold their hand, but I want them holding my hand just because I just want to hold their hand because I, I love them. Don't you want your daily life to Jesus, with Jesus, just to be like walking through life, just holding his hand throughout the day? But unfortunately, unfortunately, the way that we interact with God is a lot more like the way that our, our kids sometimes interact with us, that the, the only reason they come to talk to us is because they have a sibling that they want to tell on, or if they got hurt and they want for you to make it better, right? Other than that, I'm playing, I'm good, leave me alone, right? And so I think trial focuses our attention on God, and it brings us back to the place where we lift up our hands and say, Abba, Father. And so that is for your profit, Psalm 121, 1 through 8. I lift my eyes up to the hills. For where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. I will not let your foot be moved. He will keep, uh, He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Psalm 120, verse 1. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Man, it is amazing how short our memories are. That he delivers me through this trial and then several days or weeks go by and I hit a new trial or the same trial rears its ugly head and I think, well, here we go again. Instead of thinking, well, yeah, here we go again. He gets, I get to then come to the Lord and see him interact again. It is awesome how he lovingly and patiently pursues us. Third way that this is profitable before we move on to the, the final point for this main point. We can be encouraged in our, eternal, in our eternal state in trials. You know, there are some times in my life and there have been certain times in my life, and I'm sure there will be times in my life moving forward where I will think to myself, wouldn't it be great if I could freeze this time right now and never leave this time, and just for all of eternity, I could be in like this time right here? Like, for example, when I get to go on a date with my wonderful wife, and we're just at a place where like, you know, we've hit that beautiful sunset, and we've got nobody around us on the beach, and it's just her and I, and we just, can we just pause that and just live there? But then it's during trials where I, where we get the opportunity to remember that this isn't our home and it gets, no offense, so much better. So much better with a new heaven and a new earth and new bodies. And we get to see those who went before us. And, and people with diseases or deformities or sicknesses will be whole and well. And those who could not speak will sing God's praises. Those who could not see will see his glory. Those who could not hear will hear those praises. Those who could not move will run to us and run to our Lord and Savior as he wraps their arms around him. How much better 
is life when we're reminded, even in our trials, that this is not our home. So it's deeply for your profit. Trials are allowed so that we can be reminded of who we are, who he is, where we're going. And then lastly, trials contain a promise. I want you to see James 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed. This is the inevitable state of the steadfast believer. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This word, I'm going to uh, read this out of a, uh, this is a quote from a commentary. This word, dokamas, which indicates that the man has stood the test, was used to describe the successful testing of precious metals and coins. It referred to the process of testing and also to the consequent approval of the tested object as genuine. Let's rewind. Forged in fire. So basically, what you're telling me in this sermon is that to have a quality blade made, there is no way to do that unless it undergoes extreme heat and pressure. And a lot of times, some intense pounding. And then after all of that, then it can be polished and it can be sharpened and it can be fit for use. And even sometimes then, if you've ever watched the show, they'll bring this thing up there that they've worked hard on and these judges take it in the back and they look it over and they scrutinize it and they'll, they'll come back and they'll say, hey, you know, this looks good or this looks good. But, and, and then they'll do these tests, right? And they'll say, hey, your, your, blade, your, 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 your tip is dull because the metal is too soft there. Or you've got this, you've got this really fine, really small crack that's going to run through it. And, and if we're afraid that if we put too much force on there, it's going to snap. It's going to fail. It's going to be a catastrophic or a critical failure. I'm happy to tell you that our Lord and God is the best blacksmith who has ever lived, whoever will live, and better than we can ever dream to be. And when he works a metal, he does not allow for cracks. He does not allow for dull edges or for catastrophic failures. But brother or sister, what he does do is he has to put you into the fire and pound on you so that, or I guess I should say allow for those poundings to happen so that you can be a tool fit for service, fit for the kingdom. And it's even better because he's not just making you a dagger to stab. What he's making you into is a gemstone to place in the crown of his kingdom, to be a living stone. Some years ago at Moody Bible Institute, the annual Founders Week conference, Dr. Howard Hendricks of Dallas Theological Seminary recounted an experience that he had once had with the town's champion checkers player. So he was a young fellow at the time, and he was very confident of his prowess, and he decided to take on the old veteran. He was given the first move and decided to set the pace. After just a few moves, his adversary put a piece in line of fire. Jump me, he demanded. Hendricks did so. He scooped up the piece triumphantly off the board, and he thought that he had the game in the bag. And then his opponent had put another piece in jeopardy. Jump me, he said. Hendricks gleefully took the piece, and then it happened. 
The older man picked up one of his pieces, jump, 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 his piece raced down the board, scooping up Hendrick's pieces with a resent relentless precision. His piece arriving at the king territory, and now he says, crown me. After that, young Hendricks didn't have a chance. Piece after piece was pounced on until he had lost them all. Dr. Hendricks made this point. No good checker player minds losing an occasional piece, he said, so long as he is heading for king territory. James seems to have thought much the same. The occasional trial or loss can be taken in stride as long as we keep in mind the crowning day that is coming by and by. You see, trials are a chance for us to work out our faith as well as a means to reaffirm our salvation. Our God will not let us go in times of trial. In fact, it is in our times of trial that I think that we see even more of who God is and what he is doing so that we can give him glory and praise. Now, next week I'd like to talk to you and finish talking about temptation. Because just like for Christians, trials come, well also temptation does as well. But as we close, I want for you to be reminded that trials, brother and sister, do not define you. They only refine you. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you that you and your wisdom that is beyond us have have decided that it is best for us when we do experience trials of various kinds and that we, knowing who you are and how you will interact with us, that we can obey James' command to count it all joy when we experience various trials, knowing that you are steadfast and good. And like you have said in other scriptures, you have plans to, to bless us and not to harm us. That you have told us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light and that we should learn from you. So God, for all of us who are here this morning who are in the midst of experiencing trials, I pray that this would be a a deep and abiding encouragement to them, to us, knowing that you are in control and that one day all things will be made well, even if that means in this time of life we must be patient and wait until we reach the other side of the river death. But God, you are good and faithful and true, and our hearts can delight in that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's uh, stand and sing.